Dr. Jane Fraser was born in Edinburgh, Scotland. She earned her veterinary degree from the University of Edinburgh in 1973. She then went into mixed animal practice in the north of England, followed by locums in Zimbabwe, South Africa, and New Zealand before returning to Scotland. She then worked as a government veterinarian in Papua New Guinea for two years, followed by positions in Australia and Kenya. She moved back to South Africa to do locum work in 1985 and has been there since. She became interested in therapeutic alternatives for her patients and attended the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association Conference in 1984. Afterwards, she traveled around the United States, visiting the holistic practices of Drs. John Limehouse, Alan Schoen, and Ehor Basco. She began a vet MFHOM program in London in the early 1980s as well, and also did locums for Dr. George McLeod. She did the IVIS acupuncture course in the UK in 2000 and has attended a number of IVIS and AHVMA conferences over the years. In South Africa, she and some colleagues formed a complementary veterinary medicine group that hosted continuing education lectures from a number of doctors, including Barbara Fougere, Joe Demers, and Alan Schoen. Dr. Fraser started a holistic practice in her home in South Africa, and she still sees patients there today. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jane Fraser as we discuss her education, early practice life, holistic education, and get her advice on how to have a long and fulfilling career in veterinary medicine. Thanks for taking the time today. Thank you for the invitation. So, where did you grow up? So, I grew up in Edinburgh in Scotland. Um, that was quite a long time ago. So, uh, I had a very sort of conservative background. I think my father was a medical doctor and um, so I went to school in Edinburgh, and my childhood was probably very typical of that time. I had a lot of pets, rabbits, guinea pigs, I went horse riding. So, um, you know, I had a, a sort of bent towards um, treating animals or, or enjoying animals at the time. So you, early on, pretty early on, you figured you want to be a veterinarian then? Yes, although I have to say at that particular time, it was rather frowned upon for women to, to go into veterinary medicine. And um, I remember my headmistress at school saying that it wasn't the job for a young lady. So, But I was determined to be a vet. So fortunately, I did get into veterinary school in Edinburgh. Although I have to say that I probably wouldn't get in now with those grades because it's increasingly difficult to, to get into vet school. But yes, I went to vet school in Edinburgh. Um, how, how big was your class? So there were about 60 students and there was only three of us, three women, and the rest were guys. So it was quite daunting. And it was a very male-dominated environment, I must say. Oh, I can imagine. So, how about how about faculty? Were there were there women faculty at all? Um, you, you, do you mean as as teachers or lecturers? Yes, yes. yes. Um, no, not that I can recall. No, it it really was a very male dominated environment, and as I say, quite daunting in a way. It would be obviously very very different now, but um, at that time it was. Um, in all ways, one was discriminated against, if I recall. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Yeah. And even just I'm thinking about, you know, even the large animal medicine and just how physical it yes. had to be. And 
So it was it wasn't that we were told that we couldn't do large animal work, but there was a sort of acceptance that you know as a as a girl you weren't going to be capable of doing very much. But um, actually, a lo- you know, a lot of women from that graduated um, did end up going into mixed practice or large animal practice. And that's what you did, correct? Yes. So after I qualified, I worked in the north of England in a large animal practice. So um, it was cattle, sheep, horses, very few small animals. So, And at, at that time, it was a lot of TB testing, brucellosis testing, um, that type of thing, carvings, etc. So very much a sort of James Herriot environment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, did you work out of a car? Um, yes. So, um, you know, we'd set off in the morning to do various visits and um, I was sort of left to do my own thing, although there was always backup if necessary. So I did have to do night work and carvings in the middle of the night, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and did the did the farmers accept you? Well, they were a little bit sort of didn't quite know who this person was and I probably didn't look old enough to be a vet and they were reserved judgment till after they'd seen if I could manage what I was meant to do. I mean, we should mention this was 1973 when you graduated. So yes, I know it's a diff- long a, time ago. So. A very different time. Yeah, It was very different time. So how long were you in that practice? So I was only there for a year, just over a year. And um, I already wanted to travel. So um, I think in those days that was quite common if you had a British degree you could travel anywhere really in the world and work so I already had um, family connections in South Africa so um, I went out to Rhodesia which is now Zimbabwe and I worked there for a few months and then to South Africa and I spent a year in South Africa working so that was mainly mainly small animal work or a little bit of large animal too. And again, it was a very unusual unusual for um, for there to be a, a woman vet. So that again was was early days in the in the sort of changeover to more women vets. Um, so it was quite challenging at times. And uh, and I spent about a year in South Africa and then I sailed from South Africa to New Zealand and uh, spent a, a year in New Zealand working, again, so sort how, of mixed practice. How did that come about? Um, well, I had a, a brother in New Zealand, so that was a sort of added incentive to go. But again, I think it was, I don't know, it was just that at that time, that's what everybody did, traveled and worked. And, um, you know, we were lucky enough, with, as I say, with a, a British veterinary degree, you could travel anywhere, virtually. All right. So I interrupted you. You got to New Zealand and how long, what sort of practice were you in there? Um, small animal practice and then a sort of mixed practice. Um, so it enabled me to see a lot of the country. And um, and then from there, I left and I sort of made my way back um, to Scotland. And then I decided at that point that obviously there was a world out there to see. So I applied for a job uh, as a veterinary officer in Papua New Guinea, which 
is a is an island north of Australia, and at that time they just gained their independence. But it was it was basically governed by Australia, and um, that was quite a challenging job. It was um, as a government vet, I I had to travel the country and um, uh, check on various sort of smallholder projects. And they brought cattle and buffalo into a country that where they didn't belong. So there was there were sort of numerous um, problems. Um, it was a, a very fascinating time. So I, I was able to travel the whole country, go to the most um, unusual places, um, and that was all on work. So it, it really was challenging, but very, very interesting. So what sort of time, where are we time-wise now? We're time, at that point, it was sort of 78 to 80. Okay. So um, two years was long enough there. It wasn't really the kind of work that I wanted to be involved in, but it was a, a wonderful opportunity. And then um, I think I went back to Scotland at that point. And by that stage, I knew that I wouldn't live in Scotland. <laughs> there was too much out there. So um, I worked in Kenya for six months in a mixed practice. And that was um, through colleagues of mine from vet school that I knew who, who worked in Kenya. And then I went to Australia for six months. And interestingly enough, it was an American volunteer that I met in Papua New Guinea, who subsequently married an Australian. And she told me about the American Holistic Veterinary Medicine Association. Oh my gosh. And she said, I'm sure there's a group of vets in the, in the States who um, are interested in holistic medicine. Because by that stage, I was already interested. And I'd um, made contact with the group of homeopathic vets in the UK. So after my six months in Australia, um, I went to the first AHVMA Congress, which was held in Austin in Texas. What what's initially sparked your interest in holistic medicine then? Well, I think it started with my own um, interest in health. Uh, I'd become vegetarian quite early on. And um, I was interested in a more of a sort of naturopathic approach, um, realizing that, you know, diet, um, lifestyle was, was very important. And I felt that could be applied to animals as well. So um, I had that interest from quite early on. But at that stage, you know, there was really very little to find in the way of training or anything like that. So the visit to the States to the AVMA Congress was a real eye-opener for me. And um, subsequent to that, I visited a number of practices in the States. Um, I Horbasco's practice in uh, San Francisco at that time and John Limehouse in um, Los Angeles and um, Alan Schoen's practice in New York. So I really got to see an incredible sort of variety of practices and what people were doing. Oh, you sure did. Wow. So it, it really was. So it's, and that's really spurred my interest to, to carry on. So um, that was sort of mid-80s. And then um, 
I sort of emigrated out to South Africa in mid 80s. And um, in order to continue some form of training, I would go back and forwards to the UK. And I had started um, the veterinary homeopathy qualification in London. So um, I would go back to England and do another couple of modules. And I was doing locums for George McLeod, who was a very well-known um, homeopathic vet at that time. Where was his practice located? So he was in practice in the south of England, although he was a, a, a Scot. And um, he was elderly, but he just carried on working. A lot of his work was um, by phone, which would not really be allowed nowadays. But he, he, had, a, he had a very busy telephone practice. <laughs> Interesting. So you, you were able to work alongside him? Um, not really. He would disappear on holiday and I would be left to fend for myself. And so a, a lot of it was just um, speaking to people on the phone and um, getting some sort of history about their animal and then sending homeopathic remedies to them, which was quite, quite something. <laughs> I can imagine you learned quite a lot just from, from yes. studying his patients and what he was doing for certain patients and that and sort of thing. Interesting, too, yeah? Yes. Interestingly enough, a lot of it was quite intuitive work, if I could say that. So it really, um, he, he definitely had a sort of capacity to just um, use his intuition. And I found myself, so that, that's actually what happened. Um, it certainly wouldn't be approved of now to work like that, but at the time it seemed to, seemed to, it seemed to work. So it helped you develop your own? Yes. Yeah, so I eventually finished the Vet MFOM course in, in London, and um, I followed on with um, the IVAS course, which again, I sort of would go back and forwards to the UK. Um, and in between all this, I attended a number of congresses, IVAS congresses, and um, I went to a couple of the AHVMA congresses, one in Philadelphia and one in Orlando. So I had a, I had a very sort of interesting period of time where I did a lot of traveling and um, doing courses, etc. Yeah, were you d getting to those uh, HVMA meetings? Were you exposed to other techniques that that you took um, on? Yes. Yeah. So I think um, I think um, traditional Chinese veterinary medicine definitely. Um, I'm just trying to think of what else I would have learned about. Um, I I think it was just a a sort of general approach, a holistic approach and what's possible. Um, and obviously there was a lot of discussion about controversial subjects like diet and vaccinations, etc. Um, so when I, re when I came back to South Africa, I was, I was doing a lot of locum work here and I only really started um, using what I'd learned, um, maybe sort of mid-90s, I suppose, and I started a little practice from my home, but continued doing locum work. Um, so at that point in time, there was people in, in South Africa really had no idea about homeopathy for animals. Um, there were homeopaths, uh, human homeopaths around, but certainly not for animals. So it was uh, 
it was quite a tough time because I was determined to um, follow through with what I felt was the best way to approach treating animals. Um, and uh, slowly built up a, a small practice at home. How was it to, uh, were you able to access supplies, homeopathics and your acupuncture supplies? Yes, I could. Um, because I was still going back and forth to the UK, I could always pick up homeopathic remedies. And as I say, they were, they were available in this country, so it wasn't impossible. Um, and, you know, generally speaking, the, the veterinary fraternity in South Africa were not particularly open to all these weird and wonderful approaches. But, um, the, you know, the public were, were keen to try. And obviously, there are always cases that um, uh, people were keen to try anything that might help. Were you, were you sort of getting those last chance cases that a lot of oh, us are used to getting? Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But, um, but slowly there were more, a few more vets interested, and uh, I made contact with a colleague in Cape Town. And in 2000, we set up a complementary veterinary medicine group. And um, we had maybe about 20 vets who joined. And we were able to start a veterinary homeopathy course. Um, this was the one from the UK. And over a period of three years, um, the lecturers would come out here and we, we ran the course very successfully. And following on with that, we did um, uh, short acupuncture courses. And we had a visit from Barbara Fougere uh, doing some lectures for us. So. Um, there was there was definite interest in complementary therapies, but it's it's uh, it's not a large veterinary population here, and generally speaking, people are quite the vets are quite conservative. Were you uh, bound by regulation at all? Did you have any worries that way? Um, well, our group was uh, recognised under the South African Veterinary Association, which really was quite a plus, and. Um, we we did. I mean, we were sort of had to be careful, I suppose. But generally speaking, uh, we were accepted um, in principle, certainly. What sort of were you seeing mixed uh, large and small animal patients in your home or out of your home then? No, it was all small animals. So I probably stopped yeah. doing large animal work quite a while ago. So it's just been small animals. Yeah, mostly dogs and cats. Nothing, and, nothing exotic. <laughs> got it. Gotcha. And you were you still doing locum work then, or at what point? No, I think I gave up doing locums quite a while ago. It it became more and more difficult for me to to sort of carry on doing locums. And you know, I was able to fortunately um, continue working from home um, with obviously low overhead, so it was sort of easy to carry on. Um, and I would. Occasionally go across the UK and do a couple of locums and um, still manage to travel a bit. So that's what I've been doing for the last sort of 20 odd years, I suppose. Is, is that your home practice is about that old? Yes, it is actually. Hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. And so it's just you? Do you have any staff at all? No, it's just me. So it's, it's a very low key kind of basic practice. I don't do any conventional work at all. I don't do any surgery or anything like that. So quite low key. And what sort of modalities are you using? 
So I would say I approach everything, uh, cases from a sort of holistic perspective, um, uh, certainly diet, nutrition, supplements, homeopathic remedies, bit of herbal medicine, acupuncture, um, a bit of homotoxicology. We did at one point actually have a visit from Joe Demers, and he did a, a workshop here in South Africa. So in those days, um, homotoxicology was very popular, and we were able to access the products very easily. Not so Can much you now. Still? Yeah, no, I was going to ask. Yeah. No, yeah. unfortunately, I think I don't know what's happened, but they're not readily available. We have a, a sort of very basic basic number that we can access. And um, I do some gold bead and plants at times. So that's really basically what I do. Do uh, people travel from a long way to see you then? Um, sometimes. Um, probably a couple of hours maybe, but not sort of, you know, I am able to refer to other colleagues in other parts of the country. That must be nice. Is the group that you helped form, are they still active? Well, not as active as they were, and possibly COVID was, was part of the reason. So it has, um, the, the interest is lessened, sadly. Um, and I think the younger vets, um, unfortunately, don't sort of express so much interest in looking at optional treatments or complementary therapies. Um, I do see a lot of difference in that regard. I think there's less uh, interest in, in looking at options, which is quite sad. Do you have any theories as to why that might be? Well, um, I do think I get a sense that there's less um, opportunity for critical thinking. And maybe as students, they just have to accept what they're told. But um, and I think this probably applies in many areas where um, even if they did have some interest in homeopathy or acupuncture, it would be frowned, frowned upon. Um, and there's a certain amount of, um, how shall I put it, maybe indoctrination that, you know, our way is the best way and you mustn't look at anything else. Sure, that's understandable. Um, so with your colleagues around the country, do most of them practice like you or they are only doing holistic medicine or is it incorporated into traditional practice as well? I would say, um, there's, there's a handful of us that would, would, um, probably classify as a holistic practice. Um, and others, it would just be part of a traditional veterinary practice. Um, uh, yes, I would say that would be the case. Um, yeah. Do you uh, do you uh, do you make use of telephone consultations now? Did you carry that forward from Dr. McLeod? Um, no, I, I didn't really. Um, I think obviously at the time um, that I worked for George McLeod, um, that was just there was no sort of internet use at that point. Um, I don't personally make use, uh, rarely do I use telephone consultations. So generally speaking, um, people would come to see me, um, although I, I do give out advice by telephone sometimes and by email. Are you able to, uh, for your 
just to uh, get to conferences, are you traveling much? Are you doing, are you doing things online? Um, yes. Well, I do a lot of the CIVT webinars, which I enjoy thoroughly, I must say. And um, so I haven't traveled much for the last couple of years. I don't envisage probably going to any more conferences. I did, um, I think, I can't remember now the last time I went to a conference, possibly in the Netherlands um, a few years ago. But um, I don't envisage doing a lot of traveling now, no. The, the pandemic combined with just the change in technology has really made it a lot easier to get our continuing education from home, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I certainly enjoy um, using the opportunity to access the CIVT webinars. So um, I think that's, I can see that that's what I'll probably continue to do. Sure. It's been great. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Jane, you've been uh, you've been in practice for a long time. Do you have any advice for for those of us who want to? I mean, how, what do you have any secrets for how long you've been able to maintain your energy and your your passion? Well, I, I am very passionate about what I do, and um, I really believe in what I do. I um, and I'll probably carry on working for quite a while yet. Uh, I do get maybe a bit disappointed that there isn't more interest from the veterinary profession, but, you know, I suppose one has to accept that that's the way it is. Um, I'm always hopeful that I might come across some younger vets who would be keen to, to learn more and to take over when I stop working, but I'm not quite sure if that's going to happen. But I also very much believe in, in um, you know, looking after my own health um, diet, exercise, etc., and um, hopefully that will keep me going and carry on for as long as I can. You've been uh, you've been watching your health for a long time, so that I have I'm indeed. sure that's been, that's been a benefit. <laughs> yes, yes. Jane, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Uh, I hope that my career can can last uh, as long as yours has. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. You've had a, a wonderful career and an interesting life, that's for sure. Thank you. Well, I hope that we can possibly meet in person sometime. I think that would be wonderful as well. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jane. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.